See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So how many, how many, how will you count them? Uh, you can either divide this warning into two or take it as one warning. Uh, but they're like seven to nine warnings, you know, with Hebrews. <laughs> and they, but they all uh, have the same uh, force. And that is, the, what is the warning? I think of uh, um, warning uh, sirens. You hear a siren, the police are coming, and you know it's it's unmistakable. You get out of the way; it's 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 coming. There's our fire truck, or uh, if you watch old war movies like Navy, the Navy horn goes off. And, it's the trumpet blast, and, and that's what the, the writer has been underlining to the um, Hebrews. He's been he's been uh, warning them, sounding uh, the alarm that they are in grave danger. Now, uh, we ignore warning sirens or warning. Bells or buzzers, it could it could result in serious harm. But this warning is such that it it, it could result in eternal damnation, mm. e eternal falling away uh, from the gospel. Mm. Now we know that that's not possible if a, a, if a person is truly God's child and has been called by the grace of God. Uh, but there is always the danger of a false profession of faith and, and a slipping away. And the sign of that false uh, profession is um, falling from grace. I never will um, forget. I had, I, we've had uh, different students help us from time to time. And one time we had a student help us who... Um, who uh, was studying for the ministry and he went through some severe trials and, and then one day he showed up in my office after after he had left for a couple of years to announce to me that he had had, had uh, gone into the Roman Catholic Church and I and I just simply said what you fall from grace 
you fall away from the grace of the gospel. Um, and he's made it his mission ever since to, to con convert evangelicals uh, to Romanism. It's, uh, it's one of the sad chapters of, of my ministry to have, have watched that. And, and, but there's something said there, this is very similar to what is going on here. The writer is warning about leaving the security and the, the safety of trusting in Christ alone for salvation. See to it that you listen. See to it that you don't refuse him who is speaking. And again, here's one of those verses where I think it's a sermon. Listen to what is being said because it is of ultimate importance. If they didn't, if meaning they, meaning the, the children of Israel who had gathered around Mount Sinai, if, if they didn't escape uh, when they refused him who warned from earth, if they didn't escape when they refused to listen to uh, morning, uh, Moses' warning and, and God speaking directly from the mountain and through his commandments that he gave, uh, if they didn't escape, uh, again, the argument from the lesser to the greater, how will you escape if you reject him who warns from heaven? If the, the quaking mountain and the terror of the mountain and the, and the peals of the trumpets uh, from the angels warning the people of Israel of judgment, didn't uh, they didn't listen to those warnings how much more will the judgment be to the one who refuses to listen to god's warning not to fall away from faith and trust in the one mediator between god and man the lord jesus christ um, the last uh, part of uh, the text this morning was about, about Abel. And again, Abel uh, was uh, bringing his offering to the Lord of animal sacrifices. His brother Cain was bringing his um, offering to the Lord from the fruit of the ground. And whatever exactly caused uh, Abel's offering to be accepted and Cain's to be rejected resulted in Abel not being able to control unrighteous anger and, and the sin of being jealous about the affirmation of his brother. The, uh, on that basis, how much more important is to listen to the warning of God? Uh, Cain in, uh, was given mercy. Uh, he was exiled. He was sent to wander the earth, but there was always a mark on him that would follow him. And there was no escaping uh, in this earth, in this life, and, the, and in the life to come, the consequences of rejecting uh, God's warning. And there's no escape 
for those who refuse to believe the gospel. God has spoken from heaven through his son, through his incarnation, through his fulfillment of the prophecy of, of being the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world through his death and all the multiple fulfillments of prophecy that surround his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, God spoke to Israel through uh, the law. He spoke to Israel through the tabernacle and then through the temple, through the whole sacrificial system. Uh, everything that we see uh, in the word of God up to this point. The only thing that can deliver is uh, from sin and death and hell forever is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we are to hold on to in the midst of a world that is falling apart. What the writer is urging on these Hebrew background Christians, he is urging on them to understand that unlike the kingdoms of this world, and, and, and especially present Israel, speaking then in that present tense, the temple is still standing. Uh, there is still uh, a presence of the Jewish people uh, together in Israel, albeit under the, the uh, thraldom of Rome. Nonetheless, their confidence uh, should not be in those things. Again, that's that's our tendency to want to put our to have tangible expressions of faith uh, to hold on to. And again, as I said this morning, that's the appeal of legalism and legalistic religion to tell you what to do and how to do it. Whereas the gospel is about telling you. The truth about your sin and your need for repentance and faith. There is a uh, war. There is a spiritual war that has raged on the earth that began in heaven. And the devil and his minions were cast to this earth and it has raged ever since. There has been war. If you, again, if you're in your Bible reading program, I hope you are. And if you begin in Genesis, I always begin in like four different parts. I don't always, but this year I'm beginning in four different parts of the Bible and reading through. You're just overwhelmed with the amount of warfare and the amount of, of death and the amount of civil war and, and uh, hatred that goes on um, and, and so it was promised in the law of God that there would always be this war with the children of God and this world again the, the, the Old Testament is written for us to understand this principle Th these are real historic events and if you remember when Israel uh, left uh, Egypt they, God delivered them through the Red Sea, they began uh, on their course uh, to the Promised Land, 
they are turned back because they are afraid of the giants in the land and they go, go on a 40 year wandering and finally they get back on course after 40 years and you remember they're coming up through the Transjordan, they're coming coming up and they, they encounter uh, Amalek. Remember that? Exodus 17, you look at it. Amalek is Esau's grandson. And the war between Jacob and Esau that started when uh, Jacob got Esau's birthright, again, uh, ways that uh, make, make us scratch our head, you know, and, but, but point to that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and not any performance that we do. But God promises something interesting in Genesis 17, and then he repeats it over in Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'm sure Dr. Godfrey will come to this. That there will be war with the people of God and Amalek for all generations until the consummation of the victory of the kingdom of God. Israel is going toward the promised land. They're going to get there quickly by the most direct route. And who stands in their way? Amalek. And there's a war, and they, they are victorious. But if you, and you can follow the thread of Amalek through the whole Bible. You follow it over to Saul. What did God tell Saul? You, you go and you, you put these people under the ban. You... You, you don't leave anything. It's a, it's a fearsome judgment on Amalek that, that Saul is uh, supposed to drive them out after this long period of compromise in the judges. And God finally gives Israel king. And Saul, what is the job of the king? The job of the king is to go out and fight God's enemies. And to do it how God has said to do it. And in the case of Amalek, it seemed brutal and harsh to us, but they were to put them completely under the ban. They were to be destroyed. Total warfare. Nothing but total warfare. And Saul disobeys. And, and Samuel confronts him. Why haven't you obeyed? What, what is this bleeding of sheep that I'm hearing, Saul? Why haven't you done what you were commanded to do? And essentially, the kingdom is taken away from him because of his disobedience to God. That is the analogy behind these warnings. There is a necessity to be faithful to follow God. Otherwise, we end up falling in the same way that the people in the Old Testament fell and were judged. It is a fearsome thing to, re to disobey what God has told us to do explicitly in his word. Um, I, I, interesting, I, I was looking at the Amalekites um, briefly while the choir was practicing, and I found I found the uh, a reference to them in modern history. If you go, if, is anybody I don't know, has anybody ever been to the Hague and the 
apparently there's a Holocaust uh, uh, memorial in The Hague that's like the capital of the Netherlands where they have all their um, um, government offices. I guess it's equivalent to Washington, D.C., but there's this beautiful memorial in, in uh, Dutch and in um, Hebrew. There's a message that that, that, that asks that uh, God's people will be able to destroy Amalek. God, uh, Am the, the hatred of the, our, our, our enemies hate us. The world hates us. I mean by the world, the world system that is arrayed against God's people, against Christ and his people. Our sinful flesh is at war with righteousness. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 7. The, the good I would, I do not do, but I end up practicing the very evil that I hate. The devil is a liar. He is hateful. He promises what he cannot deliver. This is, this is the path of sin every time. He promises pleasure. He promises wealth. He promises fame from a worldly standpoint. And he hides the awful consequences of bowing to him. And that's what the writer is warning the Hebrew Christians about. Un understand this about the world. You're not going to escape the judgment of God if you reject Christ. His voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the heavens, but, the, but also, um, not only the earth, but also the heavens. He's quoting the prophet Haggai to make this point. And the point is this. Everything in this world is going to burn up. There's someone who built a, a, a massive house one time out on Beaver Lake, and he, and he had these uh, stones. And if you've ever been to the uh, uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem, you know they have these massive stones, and you wonder how they got there. Well, these stones remind me, on Beaver Lake, reminded me of that. You can see them from heaven, uh, from the satellite. <laughs> They're so huge and so massive. And this uh, man was a believer, and he said, you know, I love these rocks, but one day they're just going to burn up. I don't know why I spent so much time and effort putting them there. And, and, and that's really the attitude that we are called to have about all the things that we, we want so much in this world and we spend so much time and effort upon. We must constantly remind ourselves that these things are going to burn up. And what will we take away? The only thing that we'll take away is what God has put in us through the Holy Spirit. The only thing is the Word of God. 
The only thing that we go to heaven with are the souls of men who go with us that we've told the gospel to. That's what Paul means when 1 Corinthians 6, when he talks about each one who has a ministry, his work is going to be judged. And what he's built that work on, has he built it on the gospel of grace or has he built it on, on straw and externals? A person can be saved, but his work will burn up. The same is true spiritually. He will remove all things that are shaken. So where is your confidence in a, in a world that has gone crazy? What are you trusting in? Where is your confidence? Um, it, we're, we're getting all kinds of uh, fearful messages in this current uh, uh, situation we find our country in. I, uh, I look at what people are running to. I sat and watched a, a program, much to my wife's chagrin, on the news channel about cryptocurrency. Have you, have you, seen, have you seen this? Are some of you invested in cryptocurrency? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. I just wonder if you, if you can explain it to me. But it, it sounded like nothing to me. It sounded like that if, you, if you invest in this nothing, you could get like, rich or you could lose like. And, and I think, I try, what does it represent? And the best I could come up from looking at that was it represents greed. Maybe it's a good investment. If it's a good investment, explain it to me. I thought I couldn't understand it. But whatever it is, whether it's our real estate, whether it's our Retirement account. What what are we investing? What are our, our, our home projects? It could be anything. Do we realize when we are investing in it that it's all going to burn up? That the only thing that you get to keep in heaven is what you've stored in advance. That's what Jesus said. Don't lay up for your treasures in this earth, where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Put your trust and your confidence in heaven. We, we see this on our small level. We see it in the big level. If you're, if you're a student of the Bible, you should be a student of history. This is one of the things I see in young people. Uh, so many of our young people don't like history. That's, that's a tragedy because history is a subject where where we understand where we've come from and where and and uh, and what has happened in the past, and and the, and the student of history knows that there can be these mighty kingdoms that last for centuries, and some you know for a thousand years or more, and yet they're all swept away. Whether it's the mighty. Assyrian, mighty Egyptians, or whether it's the mighty Assyrians, or the mighty Babylonians, or the mighty Greeks, or the mighty Romans, or even the theocracy of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, 
and all the glory of, of the kingdom of David and Solomon who took the borders to the greatest extent and built the most marvelous temple that has ever been built are succeeding generations and the, the, the Byzantines and then the and then the Holy Roman Empire and the Ottoman Empire, the, the Muslim uh, caliphates. And how they seem to be unconquerable at various times. And then God comes along by his sovereign power and he shakes them to their core. And where you go and visit many of these places today, what do you see? You see rubble. You see ruins. You see rocks. Because it's been swept away. Because it's been shaken and destroyed by God's sovereign power. And that's what God promises. He quotes again in the, the, the preacher quotes Haggai 2, verse 6. I will shake the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Christ came to fulfill the plan of God. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, I, I believe there's a reference of this here in Daniel as well. Daniel is, uh, you never know whether to call him a minor or major prophet. He's right at the end major prophet. So he, I think he's pretty major because he does say some incredible things about the end times. But I think Daniel in chapter 2 verse 44 is speaking of the same thing here after he's talked about the history of the world up to that point and what will happen when Christ uh, comes the first time. And uh, it's this clay, uh, it's this statue made, made of uh, various parts and and, uh, but it has feet of clay and, and, the, and it, it comes tumbling down. Um, and I, I believe that's when Jesus came. And I believe this is the time that the writer is writing about. And he's saying, in, in, those day, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Is this the same language? He will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it, and it shall stand forever. He cuts a stone from the mountain by no human hand. He broke it in pieces and he breaks in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing. This is all going to come crashing down. So at, at, where is your confidence? The Apostle Paul in Romans. I, we, such a powerful book, but he he wants to go to Rome so badly because it's the greatest city, it's the great big city, and it's the capital of Rome, it's the capital of the Roman Empire, and he thinks it's the most strategic place he can go for the kingdom. 
and he knows he's going to die there, but he wants to go anyway. And that incredible prison ministry there gives us a, a, a big chunk of the New Testament of the letters of, uh, of many of the letters of Paul were written there, either on his way there or while he's there. Paul gets in Romans 8, what can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can, can life or death or principalities or powers? Uh, nothing, nothing is his answer can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's basically driving home what Jesus told Pilate. When Pilate asked him, are you a king? He says, yes. Basically, you've said so. But my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would be fighting. And if it, if it were, they would have been winning. His kingdom cannot be shaken. Everything is going to be removed, but God's kingdom will remain. I said our kingdom. I should have said his, but it is ours. I should have done a better job editing my outline. His kingdom cannot be shaken. And if we're in his kingdom, it's our kingdom. It's our nation. When we when we march under the banner of our country, we march, we march in the name of the United States of America. Our commission comes from our commander-in-chief. We, we, we obligate ourselves to follow all lawful orders. If you're in the military, you know exactly what that means. But our kingdom is not the United States of America. Our kingdom is not any nation on this earth. Our kingdom is in heaven. It is the kingdom of heaven. Nothing can separate you if you are a child of God from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We the Psalms are so wonderful. They, they speak of this, and I love to read. I love to sing the paraphrases of Psalms. Luther's paraphrase of Psalm 46: "A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, He amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing." So what are we to do? What are we called to do in his kingdom service? It's very interesting that the most important thing that we do is offer God acceptable worship. We are called to offer acceptable worship. What is acceptable worship? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1, doesn't he? After expounding for 11 chapters the incredible, awesome means of grace, and how it is all of grace and none of us. What does he say in 12 verse 1? That the only acceptable worship 
is to offer yourself completely on the altar of God, it, which is your only reasonable response to what Christ has done for you. And it's not merely what we do on Sunday morning, not merely what we do uh, Sunday evening, although that is definitely included. It is our whole life. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And again, there's a warning for our God is a consuming fire. Again, the image is Mount Sinai. It's lightning, it's smoke, uh, the, the trumpet blasts, the, the fear. And all through the law, we see this theme of fire consuming uh, the unrighteous priests who offer strange fire on the altar. They're consumed by fire. says that Moses, the, uh, the, the appearance uh, in Exodus 24, the appearance of the glory of God was like a burning fire. The fire of the Lord uh, is, is all throughout Numbers and Deuteronomy. Our God, he quotes Deuteronomy 4.24 here, for our God is a consuming fire. And the good news <coughs> is that we can look upon that fire with great joy. I don't know about you, but I, I like to look at fire. So much so that for Christmas, I gave myself a fire pit. <laughs> something delightful about it. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, to know that you've been delivered from the fire. If you have not put your faith and confidence in Christ, I urge you to do so now. Do not wait another second of your life to put your faith and confidence in Christ who delivers from death and hell forever. Obey the gospel. That's, that's the message. Obey the gospel. Offer yourself to him for his glory. And for your eternal good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather morning and evening to turn to this, these fearful warnings and yet to turn to them in joy. And if there's anyone here who's yet to escape the righteous wrath and threat of eternal judgment through faith in Christ, we pray that they would not wait another second. Now, now is the time to know your love for them through Christ Jesus our Lord and his death, and his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to your right hand in the throne of heaven, in his kingdom, where he reigns forever and ever.
Amen.